Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts. Specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. This episode of Inside Fashion is brought to you by Affirm. Affirm's pay-over-time solutions help brands drive conversion, average order value, and loyalty while acquiring new high lifetime value shoppers. Learn more at Affirm.com. 
I was like not prepared to have a brand, except for the fact that I very much wanted it and I was willing to do anything to just dive in and learn. I think I had like four accounts my first season, which I thought was so cool. They were like, hey, can you email me your line sheet? And I remember thinking, what's a line sheet? <laughs> How have you dealt with retailers who have knocked off your stuff? It definitely makes me sad and hurts. What is the hardest part of kind of maintaining a wholesale business right now? I've learned to just like trust my gut and let myself make things that I want to make and not stop myself because I don't think it's going to sell. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF podcast. This week on Inside Fashion, Lauren Sherman sits down with one of New York's rising design talents, Sandy Liang. In a way, Sandy has the quintessential story of graduating from design school and entering into the realm of the fashion business, not entirely prepared for everything ahead of her. While she had interned at places like Philip Lim, Richard Chai, and Jason Wu, she needed to find her own path to create her own business, her own strategy, and find her own way of succeeding. Five years after the launch of her first collection, she's moved from an underground favorite to a commercial influencer, and her take on the utilitarian fleece has inspired dozens of other labels from fast fashion to designer. In this episode, Lauren talks to Sandy about the inspiration behind her design aesthetic, the future of her business, and how brands are ripping off emerging designers. So here's Sandy Liang, Inside Fashion. So I think to start, where where did you grow up and, and how did you get into fashion? I grew up in Bayside, Queens, which is like a little suburb close to Long Island, um, right off the LIE, the Long Island Expressway. And how did I get into fashion? I like to think that I, and I think it is true that I got into fashion because it was like so not cool and like good to care about clothes growing up because my parents like immigrated here and they had that mentality of like, you are here for school. You are so lucky to be here. You should care about nothing other than, you know, besides your grades because you don't have to worry about anything else. You're so blessed. Um, therefore, caring about how you look is just vain and, and bad. And so we were never allowed to get like new clothes until like, you know, back to school sales or like – and it wasn't because we didn't have – like we weren't um, financially stable. It was just because it was not good to want those things. And which obviously made me want, you know, all the Gap jeans and all the whatever, like so much more. And I think like that was the seed of how my fascination with clothes started, just thinking that, you know, if only I had those jeans, like would my life be so different from like the perspective of a second grader? I don't know. Um, and also like being forced to wear hand-me-downs from my older brother and and things like that. Um, and I that coupled with my love of drawing, like I was obsessed with drawing when I was little. Um, my grandfather bought me this Sailor Moon comic book from Hong Kong and it was like all in like Japanese or some things. But I, I just used to copy the drawings and like draw the characters and um, yeah. Do you have an outfit that you remember growing up that was really special to you? Mm, I have a couple of things I remember and I only remember this because I got made fun of and it was like one of the first times I felt like shame um, I think it must have been like the first grade or something and I got this like silky pink pajama top from Macy's with like a lace Peter Pan collar and I was like oh my god this is so pretty but then I wore these like olive overalls all the time 
and I wanted to wear them together just because I thought it was like so so pretty and I didn't realize that it wasn't appropriate to wear pajamas to school my mom like didn't stop me so I did that and I remember somebody like made a comment and it made me feel bad but I really liked that um I had this like beauty and the beast nightgown I like nostalgia is like a huge part of like my design process and so I love thinking about what made me so happy when I was little um, so yeah, I have a bunch of things like that. Yeah, I, I feel like there are some looks from growing up that just mean so much to people. My mom used to go to this amusement park, I'm from Pittsburgh, called Kennywood. And Kennywood Outfit Day was such a big deal. Her family was very similar and in that, you know, you only got hand-me-downs or just one or two things a year. And that was a really special. And even when I was growing up, it was like picking out your Kennywood outfit, that sort of thing. It's it's so interesting that you were able to funnel that love and, and interest and talent into a, a job. When did you start thinking, oh, I might be a fat? You went to school for fashion design, right? Yeah. So I I went to this like super math and science specialized high school which um, made me think maybe like I should do something more practical. And that also coming from my dad, who was like, you need to have like an official license or title for whatever you do in life. Like you can't just like be an artist. Um, so I was so terrible at math. I was like so bad. I couldn't count anything. And he was like, you're so good at drawing. You should become an architect. So mm -hmm. I actually only applied to like architecture programs or like um, – and things like that, like not directly fashion related when I applied to colleges. And I went to RISD thinking I was going to do the architecture program there. Um, but I was so miserable when I was there. And I transferred to Parsons midway through my um, my freshman year. So I was doing my foundation year there. And then I transferred to Parsons because I really wanted to give fashion design a try. And I knew that I wanted to intern while I was in school which was super um, important looking back at like my whole experience. So why did you not just do fashion design at RISD? Because they have a great program as well, correct? So yeah. why did you decide to come back to New York and, and do Parsons? What Did it have to do mostly with the interning thing or was it the program? It was mostly the interning thing. Like I um, was never really like, I'm going to go to Parsons when I was in high school. And I think I never really wanted to stay in the city after having gone to school in the city already. Um, but it was mostly so that I could intern during the school year and not just during the summer. Um, and I don't know. I, I remember when I was at RISD one night, I was just so sad. And I was like, I had this revelation that if I don't try to do what I want to do now, like when am I ever going to try? And I was just like in bed while everybody else was like in the cafeteria eating dinner. And I was like, I want to do this. Like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go for it. I'm not happy, whatever. And, and was that a year into being at RISD or? That was like one semester in. Well, you, you swiftly made the change, which is what they always say to do. Right. So where did you intern when you, when you got to Parsons? What was your first internship? My first internship was at Jason Wu and mm -hmm. I was a production intern. I remember going in for my interview like feeling so good from it and thinking, wow, my whole life is going to change. It's going to be like the devil wears Prada now, you know. Um, that was really cool. Uh, that was my freshman year, I think. 
And then after that, I interned at Richard Chai for a little bit. Oh, yeah. I remember he was so talented. I loved his stuff. Yeah. And that was a really small studio, um, which was really cool to see because you see one person doing like the job of like multiple people and which is just so real. Like that's just what happens at a smaller, younger brand. Um, and it was cool to overhear things, you know, even just like him having friends come over or like. It was also new and interesting for me to see and like to soak up. Um, I also interned at Philip Lim, but in the press department, which was super interesting and like highly, I like highly recommend that more so than a design internship sometimes, depending on like where you are, um, just because you're never designing as an intern really, or like you rarely are. But to hear how people are communicating um, in like an official press sort of way, like, and how to compose yourself is so necessary for if you ever want to start your own brand or something like that. What did you learn about the fashion press or or how to communicate to them when you, when you were there? It was more like overhearing how the actual press people were, like, talking about things and, like, planning events. And um, I can't, like, pinpoint anything specific. It was more just the whole experience. Were you there during a fashion week so you got to experience the seating drama? Yes. I was actually, um, but mostly it was like not glamorous stuff. Like I did a lot of sample tracking and loaning and, but like I had a lot of pride in like everything I did because it was such a small team. So you knew what you did mattered. And, and so you interned at Jason Wu, Richard Chai, Philip Lim. And what else were you doing during school? What were kind of the courses that you felt like were really helpful? Or how did you start to develop your own aesthetic and, and your ideas? It was super important to have gone through Parsons and like gotten the education that I got in order for me to like figure out how I wanted to design because it's this strange thing and I still think it's very strange and I don't even know if they do it anymore but they'll tell you okay you want to be a fashion designer find out what your what inspires you for this project go find something that inspires you and you know draw 50 dresses based off of that idea and so it was a very formulated or formulaic way of doing things, um, which felt very removed from like your actual emotions, which was strange to me because it should be such an emotional process, especially when you don't even know the reality of like what designing really means. You get to just draw and imagine. Um, so I remember junior year, I was like, okay, what do I care about? Like, I don't want to just like look at a sculpture or go to a museum and like look at a piece of architecture and like talk about that. Um, so I just started looking at my iPhone photos and like thinking about what truly made me so happy. And it was about nostalgia. It was about like those memories from childhood of like thinking the world was this like w magical place and like sort of being able to stay in that world as an adult. Um, and also just my life and like my family, like my dad's worked in the Lower East Side for forever. My grandparents have lived there for forever. Um, just my grandma in general and like Chinatown grandmas in general. And like I had so many fun photos that I really didn't take for any reason other than like I liked like the outfits that these Chinatown grandmas wore um, and the attitude that they portrayed. And so all of that stuff got... Um, it was really hard for me to put that into words, right? Because how do you explain to you, your teachers and your class, like, hey, this is my mood board. This is just a bunch of photos of my life and things that I find cool. 
Um, and I would reference things like the 90s, but not in like a you Google and like you see like, oh, what did people wear in the 90s? It was more just like my memory of like being a kid in the 90s and what I thought was cool. It's it's really interesting because over the years, I've done a lot of backstage interviews and show reviews. And when I first started doing them, probably, I don't know, at least 10 years ago, it was always everyone had a very, talking about being composed, a very specific, this is my inspiration. I went on this trip, this book et cetera, et cetera. And what I've noticed with the newer generation of designers and also, you know, designers who have evolved is they are more connected to, it's not, sometimes they don't have anything to say. They just say, this is what the collection is. I don't have some backstory or what have you. And it's interesting to hear you talk about how you conceive things. And some people don't even make mood boards now. And whereas it used to be, it just used to be more structured. And I think this this evolution is it's really interesting and feels more modern it's so funny that you say that because i remember i did like my first collection and it wasn't like nobody reviewed it it wasn't official or whatever but um finally when i started getting like official press or whatever i people would be like what's your inspiration this season and i would be like like looking around like what like i didn't even think about that you know it's really just Whatever, whatever I'm into at the moment or when I was designing, because obviously this is like months after the initial idea. And um, sometimes you just have to create a story because people want to hear it and it helps, you know, and then sometimes you trick yourself into believing it too. Um, but that's just so funny that you're starting to see that. Yeah, it's really interesting because the the response is often, well, it was very organic. <laughs> That's the word that designers love to use. But it's also, I've talked about this with a lot of designers after fashion shows. When you go backstage, it's like, what was your inspiration? They they have, you know, a microphone put in front of them. And it's not so easy to articulate that. And it is part of the critic or the reviewer's job to also interpret it themselves. But sometimes... It can all get a little formulaic. So I love that it's your, you and others are pushing it forward. But how did you go from making these collections to launching your own brand? Did you want, did you work anywhere else between launch and, and school or did you la- launch your own thing directly? So I graduated um, 2013. Mm-hmm. So that was like May. And I was, I got to present my senior thesis at the Parsons Fashion Show, and I was like high off of this energy of thinking, wow, I'm graduating college in New York, like at, you know, one of the best design schools. Like, I'm so great. I'm going to start my own brand. Why not? I've already interned. I, I know what, you know, people are like in an office, whatever, whatever thinking like, how much money do I really need? I already have some of my samples from senior thesis. Just add a couple of more things. Like, I get it. Um, And so I just put my head down and asked my dad, what do I need? Like, do I need an LLC? Like, what's the deal? Um, And started making a couple more samples, like taking the F train to Midtown every day, like back and forth, carrying samples and patterns. And that's how I started. My first collection was fall, winter 14. And at the time, my dad gave me his um, old his old storage space from he has a restaurant and the storage space was just like a place where he had old tables and old like restaurant supplies 
And that's actually where I got to sew a lot of my senior thesis. So I had like made my first puffer in that basement. It's like the basement of this like residential building on the Lower East Side. And that's where my studio is now. But he let me convert that space into my studio. And so I had all my samples there. Um, this was before you could DM people on Instagram. So I like was following a bunch of like accounts, like editors and press and like whatever and buyers. And so I would email them if they had their email and their profile and be like, hey, I just graduated from Parsons. Like I have a collection. I would love for you to see it. Um, and one thing led to another and a lot of people didn't reply because who would reply to that? And then some people did come and look at the collection. And eventually, like, somebody was like, oh, I'm doing something for Vogue, a feature. Like, I'd love to just Instagram this coat. Like, I think your coat is so cool. Um, and that's how the ball started rolling. And that's how, like, the buyers first started. I think I had, like, four accounts my first season, which I thought was so cool, like, getting a order in. And I knew nothing. Like, they were like, hey, can I? Can you email me your line sheet? And I remember thinking, what's a line sheet? <laughs> like, I don't know how to price anything. I don't know how to produce any of this. But I had the order in my hand, and so I kind of just went with it. Mm. And obviously, like, I, I, it's not like I had a background in, like, the actual um, production side of things. And so I was really fortunate to have a couple of mentors already who were, like, who didn't really know me that well, but were down to help and answer questions I had. So how did you, A, how did you come up with the money to make the first collection? My dad. And can, like roughly how much did it cost? I don't remember exactly, but like I remember asking him for money for my senior thesis collection and being like, and we weren't getting along at the time. And it was really hard for me to do that because, you know, yeah. It just felt bad and icky. Um, but I was like, I really need this for school. So this is a school expense. And that was that was okay. And then afterwards, I was like, I don't really know how much money I need for more samples and to start my own brand. So my dad was like, why don't you make a business plan? And I had never made a business plan before. So I, it was like, I could probably find the Microsoft Word file for you. And it would just be like a bunch of like, <laughs> like nothing. Um, but I think I just sort of figured it out along the way. Like it was never like I asked for a certain amount of money and then I got that and I made things. It was more just like um, like making samples and that's what all yeah. my expenses were. And you would just be like, I need a little bit for this. I need a little bit for yeah. that. I'm thinking back on it. And I'm like, what did I do? I, I'm assuming it was like well under $100,000. Well, it's so funny because I remember going to a fabric office and being like, and I had known these people from my internship days. So I was like, I'm starting my own brand. And they're like, well, you need $100,000. And I remember thinking, what? That's so much money. Like, I don't even, like, that's like a gazillion dollars in my head. I don't need that much money. That's crazy. Um, and I didn't need that much money. But it was mostly because I had already made so many samples while I was in school. Yeah. And I was just like adding things to it. Um, and, and when you did add those samples, you got the orders. How did you figure all that stuff out? Like you had a couple mentors to help out, but how did you end up shipping? How were you able to ship that next season? It was crazy. <laughs> I was figuring everything out, literally buying boxes from like the street down. I mean, the, the store down the street and packing things and shipping. And I remember 
we did all the shipping ourselves for like many seasons. So we'd be in our office and for like that one week, you didn't do anything but ship and your arms got tired from like all the tape, all the taping and all the folding of like the packing list and whatever. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Are any of the um, stores that you had the first season still with you or or you have you moved on from them? Um, I don't think I work with any of them anymore. It was very, like I said, I didn't know how to price anything, right? Yeah. And so I would look at a coat and it was a very outerwear-based collection because that's like my favorite thing to make and design. And I'd be like, I think it costs that much. And I'm not really sure how much this fabric costs, but this is how much I paid for it. But in a larger volume, like I don't know. And knowing nothing about minimums and all of the stuff that actually should inform your decision from the very beginning if you're designing a well-thought-out collection. Um and so I just put prices on things and nothing really made sense. And 
I've had a lot of like setbacks, like financially, you know, to to learn from my mistakes. Um, were, were you pricing things too high or too low? I think in the beginning, um, and this is just like from feedback that I got from certain buyers, they were like, this is way too high. But you never know if that's just because everything is just like your perspective, right? Yeah. Like you could say like, I, I don't think that is should be valued at whatever X amount, but then you think it is. So it's like really who's to say, but I can for sure say that I wasn't in a position to like fully know what back those numbers up. Because like I said, I didn't know what a margin was. I didn't know any of my actual costs. Um, I was like not prepared to have a brand, like a hundred percent, except for the fact that I very much wanted it and I was willing to do anything to just dive in and learn as I was going. And I could think about nothing else. Well, seven years later, you have one. So what was the turning point to you where you felt to, you felt the momentum? Was it that Vogue Instagram or or was it later when you got picked up by a certain store? I think it was when, I mean, there's so many moments of like when you feel like things are real, right? Whether it's like your first really big bill or your first really big order. But I think for me, it was when I saw somebody wearing one of my jackets and it wasn't like trade and it wasn't like a loan or a sample, you know? It was something that somebody paid real money for at full retail price. And that was very cool for me. Yeah, that's cool. Well, the thing that I'm super, I'm super interested in your brand generally, but also it does have so much commercial sensibility. It feels super new and cool and downtown and all that stuff. But it also, my husband was obsessed with that collection with the lookbook that you did with Danny Boleyn. Mm -hmm. he, and he was like, I need this jacket. I mean, he is he's married to me, so he knows a little bit about fashion, but like went to your store on Bowery or Kenmare or wherever it was and and looked at it and it made me realize that you were doing something that had more a, a pretty broad appeal and you know as you've as you've gotten bigger as a brand as a fashion brand how have you dealt with there are so many retailers who have knocked off your stuff. Uh, this summer I was in LA at, at the Glendale Galleria and I was in all these, going through all these teen stores and like Pacific Sunwear, which I think may now be called PacSun, had a knockoff of one of your fleeces. How do you, as a young designer, I mean, it's in some way I think shows your talent because all of these people are influenced by it and, and, using your your aesthetic but it also must be hard to see that like how do you how do you think about it it definitely makes me sad and hurts as it would make anybody feel bad um especially because you know that it's you and like three other people who had their hands on this one thing who like made it come to life and it's sad that these other brands with like so many more resources are just like finding small young designers to like rip off but I try to look at it in like a very realistic um point of view where I know there's very little I can do because I've done the legwork of like looking into it um so I don't know I guess I'm just focusing on the next collection right I'm not interested in making the same things over and over and it's not like I can take you know like I feel like a lot of the 
um, copies have been of the fleeces. And I always tell people, like, I didn't invent the fleece. Like, I'm glad it's cool. And maybe I had a part in that. But, you know, there are brands that have made fleeces for, like, years and years and years before me. And I'm just doing them in my own fun, like, nostalgic little way. Um, but, yes, I, like, it does bother me. But because I know there's nothing I can do about it, I really just, like, don't care so much. It's it's a really it's a really strange feeling and like I almost like don't like to think about it so much because then I have to think about it whereas I would so much rather think about designing my fall winter 20 collection and what I'm looking forward to, you know? Yeah. Well, we don't have to talk about it anymore. <laughs> it's over now. Um <laughs> you know, you have come up, you started in 2013. We're almost in 2020. You came up in the era of uh, entire upheaval. Everything has changed in fashion. Everything that the 10 years before that people were saying was going to happen did. Like the direct-to-consumer revolution, the kind of breakdown of multi-brand retail, the just there's all this funding with all these people get funded and then they can't live up to the funding and then they go out of business. And it's especially for young American designers, as all the luxury brands in the European houses have become bigger and bigger, it feels like a lot of the really talented people here have been left behind in some way. And I'm just curious to know how it has been for you coming up in that time. There is this great community of designers in Lower East Side, Chinatown, who I think are doing really incredible work that is being recognized globally and also some people in Brooklyn. But what what has it been like to, especially because you interned for a lot of people in the generation above you and, and you saw what they were kind of going through, what's it been like to build a brand in this really crazy time? It is a really crazy time. And my studio is like in a basement, right? And so... I really love the fact that I get to go to work and be in this basement and just design and work. And nothing makes me happier than when I'm like sketching something and then I finally get the sample back. And so I guess to answer your question in like a weird way, like I try to just think about my my workspace and like what I'm putting out there and not pay so much attention to what I can't control because I do feel like uh, – a loss of like, like I just don't know what I can do to affect change. Um, so I just try to live in like my own world, if that makes sense, because I understand that. Um, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. How, do you feel like there's a community in New York of other designers and people in the industry that you have cultivated or you can rely on? Or do you feel much more working on your own and just focused on your own stuff? I have like a close group of friends and mentors who help me out, who I know are my safety net. I can reach out to them if I need anything like work related. But in terms of like a network in like the industry, like I've done things like the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund, like that was a really um, great relationship for me. And it's nice to know that like I can talk to all of these mentors if I need them. Um, but in my day-to-day -day work life, it's just 
the studio and like some of my friends dropping by um, who happened to be working in the industry. But I, I don't, and I don't know if this relates to the question at all, but like in my like day-to-day like non-work life, I never talk about clothes or like whatever, or, like they talk about what new designers at this brand, what new drop, like did you hear the, the designers are all showing in Paris now? Like I just don't like care that much, you know? And I think it's not because I think I'm better than that or like I don't care about the news. It's not that. I just, to me, like I want to dedicate my energy towards just like making my brand what I want it to be. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you feel like you want to do other things other th- I I see a, a lot of people in the new generation who are designers but they also have five other things that they're interested in and also you know in previous generations so many designers end up retiring and becoming fine artists not so many but a lot of the really good ones do you think as a creative person about applying that creativity to other mediums definitely um but I'm super scatterbrained and I get super enthusiastic about something very quickly. So for me, it's more like a test of time. Like if I still care about it in like a month, then like let's really think about it. I love all sorts of things that don't relate to fashion at all, but are still like design related. I love drawing. I remember when I was in high school and I had to um, make my portfolio to apply to all these art schools. Like my favorite part of that process was just going to Spring Studios and drawing like live nude models. And that was like the best five hours out of my day. Like I wish I had time to do things like that and maybe um, do more art related things or I don't know, my boyfriend's from Maine. Like it'd be cool to just go to Maine and like, you know, work there and like live there. Um, yeah, (laughs) that sounds pretty nice. What is seven years in what's kind of, and at the point you're at in your business, I, I don't know how big you are or, or how much of your business is direct, but what is the hardest part of kind of maintaining a wholesale business right now? I think, um, you get so much feedback from buyers during market week and they give you so much information. You want that information. But I think the hardest part is just um, deciphering like what makes sense for you as for your brand and not just like the buyer saying, if we want to make more sales, we have to do this and this and, and water this down or, you know, sell these sorts of dresses or whatever. And I think as especially when I was younger or like not I'm still young but like when the brand was a lot younger I was super impressionable and like listened to like everyone's advice but then I started realizing that a lot of people and not just buyers are just giving you advice because you asked for it and they need to give you something um I've learned to just like trust my gut and let myself make things that I want to make and not stop myself because I don't think it's going to sell like I'm trying to stop fast forwarding to like when you're at the store and you're looking at something because that's what I used to do and because I used to that was super important and it still is important like if my things don't sell what is the point and that was a big part of me um designing the way I designed even in when I was at Persons because I remember people would make these like fantastical costumes costumey looking pieces and I would be like I can't wear that who's wearing that where um more than like once in their lifetime And so 
I'm trying to just, it's like a little bit of a balancing act. I want to make things that are just fun and me. Um, that would also make sense to someone like your husband, you know, so. Yeah. What are your goals for the business? Is Do you want to do something per in particular? Do you want to be a certain size or do you want to reach a certain point? I try not to think too far ahead. Right now, I want to design more things. I've been doing like a lot of outerwear, a lot of clothes, but I want to do shoes. I want to do bags. I want to open a store next year. Um, I want to do more collaborations. I, I never let myself dream too big in a real way because I don't want to let myself down. And so I try to take it like day by day, knowing that um, I want to do more of what makes me happy. And that's just making more stuff. But like stuff that makes sense, stuff that I don't want to just like throw away. I'm sure a lot of Parsons students and other students come to you now for advice. They want to launch lines, things like that. If there's, what is the one thing that you say to someone if they say, I want to do what you do? How do I do, how do I make it happen? I think you have to find people to help you. I think that's the most important thing. I don't know where I would be if people didn't decide, I don't know this girl that well, but I'm just going to answer all of her questions and help her out and introduce her to XYZ. Like, I think just talking to people and, I mean, assuming that you already know what you want to do and you already have your own design flow and all that stuff. I think it's just finding the right people to work with. Is there anybody in particular that that you've had a relationship with for quite some time over this period? Yeah, I, um, my first collection, this buyer from Actually, it, it was, yeah, she's a buyer. And <laughs> she was like, you should totally take your collection to Paris. And I was like, Paris? <laughs> what? Um, and then my friends who I was hanging out with, they were, like, they were like, we'll totally go with you. Like, let's just pack up the samples. And one, one of them was a stylist. So she knew the process of, like, smuggling samples <laughs> to another country. Yeah. And so she was like, it's not a big deal. Let's just, like, put them in the luggage and we'll go. And we can set up a showroom somewhere, whatever. Are you supposed to officially send all that stuff that's insane but i was young i didn't know what it's i was like, doing it's like bringing back food you just don't say anything <laughs> <laughs> um so we are in paris and i show a couple of buyers the collection out of this hotel room that i paid way too much money for because i thought that was like the standard and then on my flight back i was on the plane and i had just gotten my period and I remember thinking, okay, I'm not sitting in the aisle. I'm like one seat away. So I'm just going to ask the woman next to me, like, can I switch seats with her? Because I don't want to bother her. Like, she probably wants to sleep. So I told her. And she was like, oh, don't worry about it. Like, I'll just get up. I'll, I'll keep my seat. Just like, let me know whenever you have to use the bathroom. I'm like, okay, thanks. And she was like, do you work in fashion? And I was like, oh, my God, I just launched my first brand, <laughs> my my brand. Um, I like pulled out my MacBook Air and like showed her my, my lookbook. And she was like, oh, cool. I work at the showroom. You should totally talk to my friend. She could help you out. And so she introduced me to this woman um, who was in PR. Mm -hmm. And she, this woman was in the, she was like, I love your stuff. I think we need to show this to Barney's. So she, like this woman who didn't know me at all, who met me through this woman, her friend on a plane, was like coming to my studio took an Uber XL with me to Barney's, like all the way uptown, showed the um, 
design director or the head of women's wear. And I remember showing her all my pieces and like her giving me feedback being like, you can't make everything oversized, like everything's oversized. Um, and I was just constantly like being surprised by how generous people were being with their time, you know, for me. And then eventually I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, this is really bad. Like, I don't know how to price anything. This is still my first collection. And so this woman was like, I need you. I need this is the Uber X woman. Uber X woman. Yeah. She was like, I need to introduce you to this other woman who is a CFDA mentor. And she's a really good friend of mine. And I know she'd be down to help you. And so this woman, Christine, has been my mentor. And what is her last name? Park. Christine Park. Okay. I'm sure she wouldn't mind the shout out. <laughs> I'm sure she won't. She was the one who's like, okay, show me your numbers. And I just gave her everything. And she was like, what is wrong with you? Like, <laughs> where are you building in your margins? And that's when I was like, question mark, what's a margin? Mm -hmm. And so she like gave me her time and would just sit down with me and be like, this is what you have to do. You can't buy a $50 fabric. Like, that doesn't even make sense. Um, so she's been like the greatest mentor of all time ever since then. She sounds pretty, pretty great. She's like, and we also went to the same high school, which is so funny. Did you go to Stuyvesant? Mm -hmm. I, that's what I was wondering, but I didn't want to interject earlier. Sandy, thank you so much for taking the time. You live up to your designs. Oh, thank you. It's it was... great to meet. Thanks again. Thank you. If you enjoyed this conversation, you might also be interested in joining BOF's global membership community, BOF Professional. Our members receive exclusive deep dive analysis in our Daily Digest email, as well as unlimited access to our archive of over 10,000 articles, our new iPhone app, special print issues, and all of our online courses and learning materials from BOF Education. For a limited time only, we're offering our podcast listeners an exclusive 25% discount on your first year of an annual BOF Professional membership. To get this special offer, click on the link in the episode notes, select the annual package, and enter the special code PODCAST2019 at checkout. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please leave us a rating if you did, and don't forget to share it with your friends. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. It's advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.